Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, June 20th, 2022, the 516th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and thank you to all of those who are listening on the day of the podcast release via Substack. That is the way to hear the podcast episodes the day I release them. You become a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do that for as low as $5 a month or $50 for the year. That breaks down to less than a quarter per episode. Plus, you'll get immediate access to anything I post writing-wise or any other content. And that allows me to feed myself and keep the power on while I do this work. And if you appreciate the work, that's the best way to support it. And I can certainly use the support. I also put some new t-shirt designs up on cancelcouture.com this weekend. So check those out if you want some clever merch that might trigger some communists. Now, it was a big news weekend, and I want to get some of that 
two Trump speeches. Both were just barn burners. And you got to love that. But a pretty significant story dropped Friday evening. And we got to talk about that. So Tucker Carlson finally decided it was time to discuss the Ashley Biden diary. And he began the segment by saying that they had kind of just discovered how important it actually was. Now, that is unfortunate because that's definitely not true. No one just discovered how important the Ashley Biden diary was. And the proof is in the timeline. I have been talking about that diary and what is in that diary for nearly two years now. It came out in October of 2020. So we are now four months away from that being two years since that information has been out in public. It has not been a secret to anyone. Project Veritas originally got the diary. They decided that they weren't going to report on it. They got in contact with the Biden campaign to see if they had any comment about it. Someone pretending to be Ashley Biden called Project Veritas and asked if she could recover that diary. The campaign, Joe Biden's campaign, knew full well about that diary. They didn't leave. They didn't tell the world, hey, maybe Joe Biden is not the person we all thought he was. They just kept on going as if everything was normal. And that is what they do. They have known about who Joe Biden is for a very, very long time. I used to say it all the time. It remains true. Joe Biden is one of, if not the most corrupt politicians in American history. He is thoroughly compromised by all of our most significant global adversaries, and he is a moral degenerate. That is not something that I was simply making up. I wasn't trying to be hyperbolic. This is who Joe Biden is, and you can tell who Joe Biden is by examining Joe Biden's history. Joe Biden was mentored in politics by a former Grand Klegel and exalted Cyclops of the KKK named Robert Byrd. Joe Biden eulogized that man upon his death. Robert Byrd never fully denounced the Klan. He said it was a bad idea for people who wanted a future in politics to join the Klan because that stain might not leave them throughout their political career. And of course, it doesn't and didn't and shouldn't. Although it has for Joe Biden, hasn't it? Joe Biden was the man who was going to come in and solve racism. And he was voted for by people who thought they were solving racism by posting a black square on Instagram and pretending that Breonna Taylor was shot while sleeping in bed and that they could vote for Joe Biden and solve racism, even though Joe Biden said, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. And Joe Biden, because he was vice president to Barack Obama, was now the great white hope for black America and everything would be solved when we elected him. Joe Biden's history has always been there on all of those levels, and it has been there on the level of a man whose degeneracy has destroyed his children. In light of that, it should be no surprise that Joe Biden constantly tries to exploit tragedy within his family, largely caused by Joe Biden, for sympathy. Joe Biden is a kind, decent, normal family man with a great family around him that he just loves so much. 
Hunter Biden is the smartest man he has ever known on a purely IQ basis. Now, in Ashley Biden's diary, as I have talked about on the show many times, Ashley Biden talks about being hypersexualized at a young age. She talks about having showered with her father at age nine. She calls it, in her words, probably inappropriate. And she talks about beating her own, and I apologize for this, earmuffs for the kids, but she apologizes about beating her own vagina loud enough to drown out the sounds of her parents having sex. And of course, this exists among her discussion of her own alcohol and drug problems, her problems in relationships and with men and with her sexuality. It is depraved. The entire family is depraved. This is one of the messiest and most embarrassing families in some position of power and influence that this country has ever seen. It has always been this way. It has always been undeniable. And this is one of those moments where for people like me, it can be especially frustrating because, again, I've been talking about this for well over a year and a half now, coming up on two years. And while it feels like a great uh, victory and a confirmation of what we have always known to hear Tucker Carlson finally bring this to the mainstream, the real problem exists in the fact that it took this long to do it. That gap in there is all of our frustration about what we know to be true and to see that evil rise in its influence within our country and among our fellow citizens who are intentionally left clueless as to what they're actually supporting. It is sad. It's heartbreaking to for us to watch our fellow citizens and our family and our friends, people that we love and want to respect and that we care about people that we have thought were smart people just deny this and call it conspiracy theory. It's like this thing can't happen. It can't be real because they wouldn't be supporting it if it was real. And because they're supporting it, it therefore must not be real. And that makes us who talk about it crazy. We're harping on this thing that no one actually knows is true, but we do know it's true because the diary has always been true and it has always been there. Same thing with Hunter Biden's laptop. Same thing with the decades of Joe's financial dealings in Delaware. Same thing with the decades of Joe's corruption around the world with our foreign adversaries. All of this has always been real. It didn't at some point change over from conspiracy theory to something that is now simply true and accepted. But that's what the media is pretending. Tucker Carlson did not break news on Friday night. He finally made the mainstream take notice, perhaps. But you can see in real time what I often describe as the time machine effect. This story was reported to the public by Patrick Halley at National File in late October of 2020. The campaign already knew about it, which means that 
enough of the media also already knew about it, so they would know not to report on it. Patrick Howley's report came out. Everyone just ignored it. That's a conspiracy theory. End of story. No one will ever talk about this again. But that's not how responsible news organizations would have acted. And I include Tucker Carlson in that, by the way. News organizations could have verified the legitimacy of that diary pretty quickly at that point. Same thing they could have done with the Hunter Biden laptop. Instead, they were telling stories about how the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. Basically, anything that could have thrown the Biden campaign off course could have made it look to the American public even less likely that Joe Biden could somehow possibly win all of that stuff was suppressed. And as much as I enjoy Tucker and as much as he is on the leading edge of the mainstream media, this is a perfect example of how even the best in the mainstream media are still doing a massive disservice to this country. Unless Tucker is part of some grand plan, then he is simply falling down on the job. How would our world be different if the American public had been given the opportunity to understand what was in Ashley Biden's diary, what was in Hunter Biden's laptop? We might be in an entirely different world right now. And yes, fine. I understand election fraud. They were going to do what they want. I get it. I agree. This is a thought experiment. Okay. Even with the election fraud, imagine how different the world would be. People would have said to themselves, oh, 81 million people really voted for this guy who campaigned from the basement and was mentored by a Klansman and is corrupt all across the globe and has always been corrupt. Oh, and he destroyed his kids. He used to shower with his daughter. His son is his bag man running around the world, collecting money from oligarchs and foreign leaders on some sexcapade with hookers and crack, destroying his own family, lying on gun licenses, using the secret service as his own fixers. All of that knowledge was available. All of it is directly relevant to the job Joe Biden would potentially do as the American president. And thank goodness Joe Biden will never be the American president. But the media's malfeasance is not only causing harm to the country, it's causing harm to all of these people individually who are being prevented from having knowledge that would surely cause them to change their minds. And if you agree with me and the premise of this show, as I have always laid it out for the entire time I've been doing it, what we are striving for is that full public awareness of all of these things. To see all of the evil that has been uh, perpetrated on our world by the people with the greatest power, by the institutions in power. Because when that moment of full awakening comes, that's when we can actually solve all these problems on a ground level. And I think it's absolutely amazing to see the rise in activism from normal Americans who are getting involved in their local communities and in their state politics and trying to take care of business at their school boards. They're running for school board. All of that stuff is an incredible advancement. And that's been brought about by 
the devastation we've all been subject to over these last almost two years now. But where would we have been if another 10 or 20 or 30 percent of the American public was actually educated about who Joe Biden was before that election? And even incorporate the steel into that. How many more people would have realized right away, hey, I didn't vote for this. None of my neighbors voted for this. No rational person in the world would vote for this with this information. How much more quickly would they have woken up to the reality of the stolen election? How much more quickly would they have woken up to the idea that the things that Joe Biden and his illegitimate administration are pushing for are actually not for our well-being? They don't care about our well-being at all. And you can see that very clearly once you understand who these people are genuinely at a moral level. Joe Biden does not have the capacity to act for the benefit of other people. There is a lifetime's worth of evidence that Joe Biden only does anything for his own personal gain in wealth and status and power. So we'll have to see where the coverage of this goes. I have to say, I am not entirely hopeful about where the coverage is going because within 12 hours of Tucker dropping that huge story that you would expect people to continue talking about, Joe Biden fell over on his bicycle or whoever it was. Everybody's like, that's not Joe Biden. Look at his legs. They're way too fit and toned. There's no way frail Joe Biden is the guy that fell over. Now, hey man, anything's possible. I'm going to assume until proven otherwise that that really is Joe Biden and he really did fall over. He basically beelined on his bicycle to sniff a child and I'm not making that up. He had these uh, foot cages, I think that's what they're called, on the pedals of the bike so that his foot would remain in place. There's no real reason for him to have those on a leisurely bike ride around the streets of Delaware beachside in his little special community, but his foot got stuck and he took a little tumble and all the headlines were about how he bounced back right up. Oh, spry Joe Biden. (laughs) He takes a licking and keeps on ticking. And don't get me wrong. Joe Biden falling off a bicycle at this moment in his fake presidency is as perfect a moment as you could ever get. And we shouldn't just leave that aside, but got to prioritize, got to prioritize. Ashley Biden diary is a 10. Joe Biden falling off a bike is a humorous 10 that should last about a couple hours. And then we got to get back to Ashley Biden's diary. One of the things Tucker said that I 100% agree with is that the media should begin immediately asking the illegitimate administration about the diary. They should be asking Joe, not that he'll answer. And they should definitely be asking Corinne Jean-Pierre. I cannot wait to see what her reaction will be. She's got a page in her binder somewhere that she can read from, I'm sure. But honestly, it would be shocking if any of them ever ask at all. It basically falls on Peter Ducey to do, and I'm not sure he has what it takes. Now, this is another story from Friday that I ran out of time to discuss because I was 
too busy talking about all of the millennials trying to take down Elon Musk. But it turns out that this is kind of a perfect companion piece to the Ashley Biden revelations by Tucker Carlson. The USA Today deleted 23 articles from its website by a reporter named Gabriella Miranda, who it turned out was just making up all of her journalism and no one figured it out. So here is USA Today's statement about this. They put out a little article to explain away the situation on Friday afternoon. And so we might as well hear what they have to say about it. USA Today removed 23 stories from website, other platforms, following audit of reporters' work. After receiving an external correction request, USA Today audited the reporting of Gabriella Miranda. The audit revealed that some individuals quoted were not affiliated with the organizations claimed and appeared to be fabricated. The existence of other individuals quoted could not be independently verified. In addition, some stories included quotes that should have been credited to others. As a result, USA Today removed 23 articles from its website and other platforms for not meeting our editorial standards, and that is putting it mildly. The headlines of the articles are listed below. Miranda has resigned as a reporter for USA Today and the USA Today Network. We strive to be accurate and factual in all our content and regret this situation. We will continue to reinforce and strengthen our reporting and editing diligence and processes as we, and they list six bullet points. These are the things that they're going to fix. But before we get into that, let's just understand the process here. Someone outside of the USA Today organization read one of these columns from Gabriella Miranda, and they wrote in that they had a correction. And that correction, we are told by USA Today, sparked an investigation into other work that Gabriella Miranda had done. And it turned out that she was just making up a lot of her journalism, making up her sources, making up who they worked for, making up the things that they said. It was just straight up fake news. And that fake news, once it's reported by an outlet like USA Today, gets taken seriously in the mainstream. Other outlets and independent journalists will amplify that content. People on social media will share it. And then people will begin writing their own stories about that story and about how that story fits in to the broader context. And that is a very bad process when you are relying on USA Today's journalistic ethics and attention to detail. When you consider USA Today to be a disseminator of information that comes directly from the authoritative source. And of course, the authoritative source is the source of all knowledge for the scientific materialist. At some point, it is always an act of faith to choose what you believe in and don't believe in. And for Christians and for other religious people, that is God and for scientific materialists, for those who worship at the altar of scientism, for the technocrats that are embracing the nihilistic techno reality they are hoping to spawn, they trust the authoritative source, which is information 
coming from someone who is better than them within that hierarchy. And because USA Today is representative of the authoritative source, then the USA Today articles can be used to fact check other competing stories. The USA Today authoritative source, if they print it, it must be true. Therefore, you can refer to the work of the USA Today when you are debunking and fact checking people's posts online, for instance. But then you realize, oh, wait. USA Today does its own fact-checking too. USA Today is an official fact-checker, and they get to decide what is true and false for the American public, and the American public can then be censored on that basis. And not to digress too much further, but we have seen now two examples from Project Veritas of mainstream news reporters, first in the deposition between the New York Times reporter and Project Veritas, and then a video they released last week from a CBS reporter. And in both instances, the person they were recording admitted that they use their own outlet as a reputable source from which they can debunk other information and a reputable source that they can cite in their own work. They will link to another story within their own outlet or within their own media sphere, and they will assume that because those stories exist in widely read mainstream outlets, that they must be true and that they can be used as building blocks for larger stories, as building blocks for fact checks. This is what the American public is being censored on. These stories are often fake. This reporter had 23 stories out before they even bothered to check. They only bothered to check because someone outside the organization tipped them off to it. That should tell you right there, they don't have journalistic standards. They don't have journalistic ethics. They have things that they are supposed to print and they are happy to make those stories up. And we know that's true. And even outlets that have more prestige than the USA Today do it as well. We've seen this over and over again in Jeffrey Goldberg's Atlantic that they made up sources about information regarding Trump over and over and over again. All the mainstream outlets did that. A senior official within the Defense Department, a former official at the CIA, always unnamed, basically just anonymous sources. Official is the word that they use. It could be anybody from like the Secretary of Defense himself down to someone who occasionally works with the comms department. You'll never know the difference. They'll use words like allegedly to pretend that they're not really accusing people of things. And now we're seeing the exposure of the fake news apparatus right down to its blueprint level and how it all gets built up. And now I want to go over these six bullet points in the USA Today statement because they are telling you exactly where they have not focused any of their energy. They're telling you exactly how something like this happens. They're going to pretend it is just an isolated incident that they are now dealing with. So don't worry, the problem's going to be fixed. But these problems are pervasive and there's no reason to believe otherwise. Okay. If you want to say, oh, well, you know, you don't have any evidence to say that the problem is much bigger than just Gabriella Miranda. Okay, Kami, good luck with that. Go with that. 
I don't have any evidence. It's probably not anybody else. It's probably just an isolated incident. But if that's true, if that's true, USA Today should have simply been able to fire the reporter and move on. But instead, we get this collection of action items. They're going to improve our process for those who want to lodge complaints or request corrections. Oh, really? Well, how are you going to improve that process? You have the, the contact link for people to send in their corrections. Are you saying you don't read all of them? You don't respond to all of them? You don't actually look into any of them? What part of that process do you plan to improve? Because it seems like a pretty simple process. The work exists on your end, and it seems quite clear that that work was never getting done. Ensure stories have clear and sufficient identifying information for individuals quoted. Now, the important word in there is quoted, right? They're not going to stop using anonymous sources. They would never be able to get any of the stories they wanted that way. Propaganda could not exist in its current form if they actually tied all the quotes to the actual people who said them. And of course, we know that there are federal agencies who leak directly to the news outlets so that those news outlets are continually just posting as news stories, press releases from those agencies. They are putting out the narrative of those corrupted government agencies. And the more salacious, the better, because that's where all the clicks come from. That's where all the attention comes from. That's how they drive new narratives to attack their opponents. And that becomes infinitely harder if you actually have to deal with empirical reality. Ensure that reporters take appropriate steps at all times to verify source information. Well, how are you going to do that? That would seem like an entire change in culture if something like Gabriella Miranda could happen. But of course, she's now been exposed. So you might think, well, now other people who might be inclined to do that have seen that one of their fellow employees has now gotten busted and fired for doing that exact thing. And so now they won't do it because they know about that. Well, maybe, maybe that's enough of a disincentive. It depends on what the incentive structure is on the other side of that. What sort of environment would have made it worth it for Gabriella Miranda to have made her career making up news stories. And why should any of us believe that those incentives no longer exist? Ensure that institutions are contacted to provide a response or statement if they are referenced in the story. That is basic journalism, basic journalistic ethics. That goes back to like the beginning of journalism. They are saying they don't do that anymore. And when they do do it, the way it often comes through, and we've seen this so many times, people like me have people who are paying attention all the time. I share a bunch of this stuff. So many of you have seen it as well, but there are a lot of people on our side who will be contacted for comment by mainstream media outlets. And the requests always come through. Like we're going to say this, 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 and this we have this series of questions for you. We're going to need you to reach back out to us by 2 p.m. Like it's in an hour and a half because we are on a publishing deadline. 
and you'll miss that deadline. You haven't responded in time. So then they just print the story without any of your comment. And that's how it goes. That is standard operating procedure for the mainstream media. The pretense of allowing that there might be a potential point of view from the other side is almost the same as objectively representing the other point of view. That's how they take it. But that's clearly not true. And they almost never wait for the comments in response. Occasionally, they will update their stories with that added comment. But even that is rare. Again, this is stuff that should be standard operating procedure. And the fact that they're noting this as one of their reforms should tell you that it is not their standard operating procedure at all. They plan to apply additional scrutiny to sources found through blind connections on social media platforms via email, etc. Really? How much scrutiny was there on those sources in the first place? Seems like the answer was none once again. But do people understand this at all? Do people understand how deep the problem of fake news actually goes in these organizations? And then finally, they want to reinforce their standards for crediting other outlets for their work. And again, that seems like one of the most obvious elements of basic journalism. And so while Gabriella Miranda is one person and one example of a problem, there's no reason to believe that it's an isolated incident. And USA Today is essentially telling us that in their response to this incident. This seems like an admission of a complete and total breakdown in every process involved with creating legitimate journalism. And what do we have? We have at best in the mainstream, Tucker Carlson, right? At best, someone who is relaying some of the most critical decision influencing information this country could possibly get. He's communicating that a year and a half plus behind when it actually matters, behind when the points of critical decision actually are. He's a year and a half late. Now, is it a plan? Okay. It could be. And if that's what pans out, then I take it all back, right? Again, Tucker is the best at what he does, but otherwise it's complete and total failure. He was pretty on the button when it comes to Ukraine. That was extremely helpful. He was only a few days or weeks behind that narrative. And you can even Chalk that up to him being extra responsible because of the impact of his platform. I'll even accept that. But again, he's the best in the mainstream. For the rest of the mainstream, we are at least a year and a half or two years behind real time in what they are reporting and how they are reporting it and the way they are contextualizing it. They are forcing the American public to miss all of the critical decision making moments by a long shot and then the story they're actually telling has no connection to the truth or to empirical reality, at least none they can actually go out and back up, which is why they aren't doing it. And so it can be no surprise that the public is so ill-informed about every single situation that matters. Now, some very good news over the weekend. The 
Texas GOP had their convention and at the convention, they vote on the party's platform for the upcoming elections. And among the platform items they agreed on was the fact that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. They released this statement. This Saturday, the nearly 5,000 Texas GOP convention delegates in attendance overwhelmingly passed a resolution questioning the 2020 election. Matt Rinaldi, Republican Party of Texas chairman, said Texas Republicans rightfully have no faith in the 2020 election results, and we don't care how many times the elites tell us we have to. The Texas Republican Party is raising record funds for election integrity, and we've made election integrity a top priority to ensure Texas never goes the way of Pennsylvania, Georgia or Arizona. We refuse to let Democrats rig the elections in 2022 or 2024. The resolution states 2020 election. We believe that the 2020 election violated Article one and two of the U.S. Constitution that various secretaries of state illegally circumvented their state legislatures in conducting their elections in multiple ways, including by allowing ballots to be received after November 3rd, 2020. We believe that substantial election fraud in key metropolitan areas significantly affected the results in five key states in favor of Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. We reject the certified results of the 2020 presidential election, and we hold that acting president Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. was not legitimately elected by the people of the United States. We strongly urge all Republicans to work to ensure election integrity and to show up to vote in November of 2022. Bring your friends and family, volunteer for your local Republicans, and overwhelm any possible fraud. And if you listen to this show often, you will likely have an idea of how I'm going to respond to that statement. The first half of it was great. All of that is correct. Secretaries of state did change laws outside of their state legislatures, but so did governors and so did courts. And then those same courts decided that even though election measures were passed outside of the state legislature, which means in an unconstitutional fashion, they still couldn't overturn any of the results from those illegally held elections because, you know, the timing just wasn't right. People didn't have the proper standing. And you'll remember, by the way, Ken Paxton, as the attorney general from Texas, represented all of these points in a lawsuit brought before the certification of electors, the illegal and fraudulent certification of electors, and was joined by 18 other states. We all forget about that, that the Supreme Court just tossed that. They claimed that the states actually did not have standing, which is insane. But like everything else, this isn't some new revelation. This isn't new information. The election has always been fraudulent. People have always known that. It is not enough to overwhelm the polls in the fall. I'm sorry. I know a lot of people that I agree with on a lot of things believe that that is our best bet. Just get everybody to vote, overwhelm the polls. Now, I'm not opposed to people going out and voting, even with rigged elections. Okay. And I've said that clearly a number of times, but apparently this is a conversation we're not allowed to have anymore. And I'm not really sure why. Now, there can be good arguments for continuing to go out and vote. I think the, the show of size and the show of force, that display 
that going out and voting will have and will give, that's important. And if these elections are defrauded and we are able to go look, it is going to be a good thing to see that the totals of real votes actually do fall in our favor. But that didn't happen after 2020. And we knew the situation then too. The worst thing that can happen is that we put a bunch of rhinos back into office thinking that when we swing the house from blue to red or we swing the Senate, that somehow we are going to get election accountability for the 2020 election. That's not true. The only way that happens is if we get majority MAGA and telling everybody to vote and just make sure that there's an R next to everyone's name when you do go vote. That's not going to get the job done. And we need to stop pretending it is. We might well be able to increase the number of Republicans elected by overwhelming the polls. I'm not saying it's totally impossible to do, although I'm not convinced it's not. But as long as the election fraud apparatus remains in place on some level, they are going to get a result they are comfortable with. And if that result also means that the American public assumes everything about the elections is okay again. That is nothing but a massive win for the Uniparty and for the global communists. These elections are currently fraudulent in a way that new election integrity bills have not fixed and cannot fix, and in a way that overwhelming the polls cannot fix. And it's important that we don't lose sight of that. That said, it's still very important that Texas has done what it's done. Hopefully that will open some space for other GOP conventions, other state conventions around the country, other delegates at those conventions around the country. Hopefully it'll open some space for them to make the same decisions and it will become too big for the media to avoid. They like to present it as all of the Trump crazies just still spreading the big lie and the party apparatus giving us a little treat, a little pat on the head and saying, oh, yeah, we understand you guys don't like elections. We're going to say this thing. Now come out and vote for all the people with ours next to their name and everything's going to be just fine. That's not how it works. And that's not the game any of us are going to play. We can come out and vote. That's cool. We can all come do that. But there's no way the election integrity thing is going away. There's no way that the theft of the 2020 election is going away. And if we let it go away, that's on us. That is us giving away the country by giving away our vote. So yesterday was Father's Day and happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there. I had a nice long conversation with my father yesterday. I hope that you had a conversation with your dads yesterday or you got to do something nice out in the summer sun. But yesterday, according to how life is now, was also Juneteenth, which is now something that everyone celebrates. And that is a new thing over the past few years. And I don't really have any negative opinion of that. I think that it's an important day to commemorate the event that it is commemorating the knowledge that black Americans were freed from slavery and oppression at the hands of white Democrats is a worthy event worth commemorating. But despite that, 
it doesn't need to cover up Father's Day. They can exist together, but that's not how our culture is treating those two days at this point. There was very little mention of Father's Day this time around because they don't care about fathers. We're talking about a movement that is expressly opposed to the nuclear family. That's not hyperbole. It's not a conspiracy theory. It existed in the Black Lives Matter agenda. It also exists in the global communist agenda. The nuclear family creates bonds that take precedence over a person's commitment to the state. And no communist enterprise can possibly withstand real bonds between people. The state must take priority. First and foremost, always. No God, no family, just the state and the demands of the state and the extent to which you support the demands of the state, the extent to which you comply, the extent to which you repeat the slogans is the extent that you are allowed to have your suffering caused by the state alleviated slightly by the state. So the role of fatherhood at its essence to teach strength and initiative and independence, all of those things are hindrances to the state. The father is a hindrance to the state, which is why they've created a culture where fatherhood is seen as unimportant. But Father's Day isn't the only holiday they're trying to replace. Google always puts their little pictures up. They change their little Google name into something special, a commemoration of that day. On Memorial Day, they just straight up didn't bother. I think it was just gray the whole time. And of course, Memorial Day falls on the same weekend as one of their highest religious holidays, which of course is George Floyd Day, St. George's Day. So we can replace Memorial Day with St. George's Day. We can replace Father's Day with Juneteenth. But what else can we replace? Here is a man named Peniel Joseph writing for CNN. The headline is Juneteenth, as much as the 4th of July, is America's true birthday. Juneteenth 2022, which the nation officially celebrates Monday, is unfolding against extraordinary twin backdrops. The ongoing hearings of the House Select Committee on January 6th and the continuing legislative efforts to halt or disrupt the teaching of the very history that Juneteenth, a day that marks the end of racial slavery in the United States, commemorates. President Joe Biden signing into law a measure making Juneteenth a federal holiday in 2021 came on the heels of the racial justice upheavals of 2020 that followed the murder of George Floyd. Juneteenth had long been an occasion more informally celebrating the news of freedom from slavery, belatedly reaching black Americans in Galveston, Texas on June 19th, 1865. But now it's a real holiday because Joe Biden made it one last year, following on the heels of what we might as well just refer to as racial upheavals. It wasn't a Marxist attempt at sparking a race war. It wasn't months upon months of rioting and looting and burning and assault and murder, including on police officers. It wasn't that at all. It's just a, a racial upheaval. 
it's a speed bump on the road to progress. But Joe Biden fixed all that for the blacks like he does everything. It seemed that virtually overnight, the law establishing June 19th as Juneteenth National Independence Day transformed this day from a Texas-based African-American celebration into a national symbol of the enduring need to confront a long-denied history of racial slavery and its afterlife. The story of Major General Gordon Granger delivering the news of black people's hard-earned path toward citizenship and dignity became a metaphor for America in 2020, which was weighed down by a pandemic and convulsing with demonstrations, demanding an end to structural racism in the aftermath of Floyd's murder. And how about that? They have, in one second, taken an historically relevant event and the commemoration of that event, and they have combined it with their story, their narrative about George Floyd, a narrative that is riddled with falsehoods and almost entirely based on falsehoods. And rather than seeing this obviously as a degradation of the actual Juneteenth event, now we see it as an enhancement of Juneteenth while also being an enhancement of the George Floyd narrative and all of the violence and social unrest that followed. All of that is now supposedly good. It is all a part of black national independence. I, alongside other writers, scholars, historians, and culture workers, found hope in the resurgent interest in black history that accompanied both the protests and the elevation of Juneteenth as a federal holiday. And that's strange because we have an entire month devoted to black history. Are they saying it's not working? One manifestation of that hopefulness for positive change was the proliferation of best-selling books focusing on black history, including The New Jim Crow, A History of Mass Incarceration by Michelle Alexander. Oh, an intersectional feminist is going to teach us how to solve all the world's problems, namely the incarceration problem, which we discussed a bit within the last couple of weeks when San Francisco's awful district attorney, Chesa Boudin was, quote unquote, recalled in a very legitimate election. But back to the article. In that context, Juneteenth became more than just a part of the national conversation about efforts to achieve racial justice in America. The history behind Juneteenth served as an important aspect of a broader impetus many felt to do some wide ranging soul searching. Those efforts were visible among sports leagues proclaiming that Black Lives Matter, elected officials marching with BLM demonstrators and museum and popular culture curators and ordinary Americans finally acknowledging the depth and breadth of systemic racism. The entire nation seemed chastened by the summer of unrest and inspired to do the personal and political work to make some long overdue changes. And so you see all of that violence and all of the destruction and all of the division, all of that was worth it because now major organizations who are affiliated with the overall global communist agenda are making the changes toward communism that leftist activists have been asking for for so long, which is the exact same thing as the people rising up to make political changes, except, you know, in reverse, 
It's from the top down. It's them telling us this is what we have to do. And so we're going to do it. And you guys will all credit yourselves for this major win in terms of racial reconciliation, ignoring the fact that the Democrat Party is absolutely the party of systemic racism. In fact, it is the one institution in our country where racism is systematized. Yet Black History Month in 2022 unfolded alongside a spate of legislation purposefully designed to prevent the teaching of this history and the lessons it imparts. In Florida, a bill designed to prevent quote-unquote psychological distress to white students and teachers during the teaching of histories tied to systemic racism passed in April. And that is a completely and intentionally inaccurate view of what states are trying to do right now. Teaching kids how to be racist and making their lives revolve around a perpetual victimhood and oppressor narrative is not the same as trying to get rid of teaching of black history. It is a preposterous conflation of those two ideas. The problem with critical race theory isn't the race part. It's what the people professing critical race theory do with the race part to inject cultural Marxism into America. That is what they are doing. And that is the intent of what they are doing. They are trying to permanently cement the victimhood and oppressor narrative into the fabric of American culture. And notice how the writer makes light of the psychological distress of white students. It ignores the fact that what they are teaching is psychologically distressing on all students. But if in school kids are being taught, little kids, young kids are being taught a version of history that paints them as evil by virtue of their skin color. And we're going to say that that psychological distress of being taught they are automatically bad is irrelevant. Who are we? Their entire gender agenda is based on the idea that kids are experiencing psychological distress because they're being coaxed into a gender paradigm that doesn't work for them. We're being told that they need permanently life-altering hormone therapies and surgeries to alleviate that psychological distress. That's how important the psychological distress of children is, we are told. Never mind that these same people are the ones inflicting it. But you see, to this writer, it doesn't matter if it's white students and the subject that is distressing them is them being constantly and permanently labeled an evil oppressor from the time they are small children. In Virginia, Republican Glenn Youngkin successfully exploited the made up controversy over so-called critical race theory to become governor as the state banned the teaching of parts of American history now deemed too dangerous to share with young people. Critics of CRT weaponized white outrage at the expense of black parents whose opinions and voices were left out of the public debate in a matter that further amplified the nation's racial divide. And again, that could be true 
if you ignore all of the facts. Like, for instance, there are millions of black parents out there who do not want their children being educated into these awful racial paradigms. They rightly don't see this as a way for their children to advance because it is also psychologically distressing to tell children that they are going to be oppressed by their skin color throughout their lives and that they will never get the opportunities for the same success that people with other skin colors will have open to them. And here we go. The January 6th assault on the Capitol was more like a grassroots cousin of the legislative backlash organized by the GOP. This violent attack on the U.S. Capitol echoed and reiterated the white supremacist politics of the Reconstruction era, where baseless allegations of voter fraud helped rationalize the violent killing of black people and their supporters. You get that? It's racist to tell the big lie. Now, the nation is slowly realizing that the votes most commonly stolen by Democrats are, in fact, the votes of black Americans. And nothing could be more obvious if you look at the vote totals and where they are amassed. They are consistently in urban centers controlled by Democrats and long controlled by Democrats, where we are told millions and millions of black Democrats live. And they vote at a rate of 95% Democrat. So those cities become overwhelmingly Democrat. Those cities represent the population centers. No one has any idea of how many people are anywhere in our country in a very real way. So we just assume, oh yeah, all those numbers are right. Black people really love Democrats. I guess there's more Democrats now. The whole country is going to be blue. I mean, let's look back a decade, 15 years. The last 15 years, most of the conversation about political trends in the country is how the Democrat Party is going to come to a permanent majority based on the influx and the growth in the Hispanic population. Because black voters vote Democrat, so Hispanic voters will also vote Democrat. And Democrats will own the votes of the minorities. And because Democrats own the votes of the minorities, well, then they can just permanently put all of those areas into their column and then protect that with voter fraud. But sure, questioning elections is exactly like keeping black people from voting during the Reconstruction era, as long as you are intentionally forgetting that the hindrance to black people voting during the Reconstruction era was Democrats. Democrats started the Klan. The Klan exists to make sure that black voters can't use the power of their vote. And Democrats have come so far since, so far, in fact, that the man they are pretending is president right now was himself mentored in politics by a Klansman. Congressional hearings in 1871 led to the passage of anti-Klan legislation, but such policies were rarely, if ever, enforced, leading to full-scale attacks on black political power that culminated in the 1898 white political coup in Wilmington, North Carolina. Oh, a white coup. Got it. The January 6th hearings with their dramatic narrative of an American president bent on breaking the rule of law by inventing conspiracy theories of electoral fraud is a perfect example of why Juneteenth is so important. 
According to the Washington Post, more than 100 GOP primary winners have touted former President Donald Trump's lies about the 2020 election into successful primary victories. And hey, stick with it, commie. You're going to get there. There's no problem with the path you are headed down. It's not going to lead you directly over a cliff. Not at all. You're right. Electoral lies. These election deniers, these crazy people who just invent conspiracy theories. And honestly, you have to be impressed by how many false premises are in this article. The entire article is based on false assumptions and the idea that all the smart people really know this stuff is true. The hearings offered an unvarnished portrait of one of the most disturbing episodes in American history, one whose reverberations threatened democracy at its very core. The mistrust sowed, exploited and weaponized by Trump and the GOP are rooted in fear, anxiety and anger about black citizenship, specifically the legitimacy of black voting power, a threat that first came into being in Juneteenth's aftermath with the passage of the Reconstruction Amendments. Juneteenth 2022 matters now more than ever. And I guess that's literally true since no one ever heard of it before a few years ago. And most people still haven't. And that includes many black Americans, by the way, as well. BLM tried to hold Juneteenth events over the weekend and people didn't show up. So far, we have only scratched the surface of what this holiday potentially allows all Americans to explore. I grew up listening to stories of Juneteenth in New York City from black Texan transplants in the Big Apple. They made me understand for the first time the intimate links between the past and present. As a federal holiday, Juneteenth now offers a window for Americans into understanding how the political is also personal. The black folk who bled for democracy during and after the Civil War crossed generations of racial injustice during a century of Jim Crow racial segregation, fighting heroically in world wars, protesting on domestic battlefields for civil rights are as crucial to our national story as the heroes of the American Revolution. Their legacies surround us, opening a deeper faith in America's democratic values and history than the forces that would have us bury the past in order to control the future. Keep that part in mind. For now, the extraordinary and continuing crisis of race and democracy in America shows no signs of abating. The histories that are being suppressed by GOP legislation are, in fact, profoundly American ones. The highest example of patriotism is not a sanitized version of American history, popularized after the Civil War in lost cause nostalgia that redefined a war to end slavery as a battle over states' rights, again, on behalf of Democrats, Glossing over racial violence, greed and exploitation of black labor in favor of more sepia toned images of a pastoral American landscape that, in fact, never truly existed. Yet the very fact that America now officially commemorates Juneteenth is still a sign of hopeful, if simultaneously fragile, racial progress. The first holiday in the nation's history that reckons directly with racial slavery and the black contribution to American freedom, Juneteenth serves as an annual reminder of the enormous power and potential of a multiracial democracy that remains in many ways as fraught in our time as it was during Reconstruction.
as the nation prepares in only four short years from now to celebrate 250 years of independence, it is worth remembering that Juneteenth, as much as the 4th of July, represents American democracy's true birthday. So you got that? In Florida, they didn't want normal American history reshaped by the teaching of critical race theory which makes race essential and necessary to any conversation and proposes that in all situations in life, there is a victim and oppressor narrative that you can find if you simply look for it hard enough. And once you find that, it is your responsibility to eliminate that oppression in whatever way you can. If you look at a situation and think, Well, it doesn't seem like there's any oppression here. You're wrong. You're not seeing that situation racially enough. What you need to do is figure out a way to make that situation racial and then fix it. Can you actually fix it? No, but you can genuflect about fixing it. And then you can tell everybody how you are trying to fix it. Therefore, you are not racist. Everybody else is racist. And oppression still exists. So what we need is more Marxism. He also just said in absolutely no uncertain terms that this is in every way the equivalent to July 4th as the nation's birthday. This is the nation's real birthday. Well, just a few years ago, the New York Times released the 1619 Project, and they told us that the nation's real birthday was actually in 1619. That was the real founding of America. They tried to erase history and install a new history. That history was somewhat accepted, but largely rejected and served to cause more unnecessary racial division for absolutely no reason based on an unequivocally false rendition of what history was written by race activists who are not historians. And we see another attempt to do the same. Fourth of July will be replaced with Juneteenth. And you're not allowed to be upset about this obvious cultural Marxist attempt to remove the country's history and replace it with an alternate history, knowing that the replacement history is being given to us with a specific political agenda alongside it. If you're upset about all that, you're racist. And since you don't want anyone to call you racist, you're going to have to figure out a way not to be upset about it. And so you'll say nothing and then they will replace 4th of July. That is what they want to do. Call me a conspiracy theorist if you want. Say it's crazy. It's not crazy. You can see it happening right in front of you. You can see them ignoring Memorial Day. You can see them ignoring D-Day. You can see them ignoring Father's Day. Those holidays are not important. Because those holidays make you remember your past and your history and what family means and what the country means, flawed though it may be. And none of this is inherently in any way an argument about Juneteenth. It is simply a recognition of what these people are doing and they know it and it's obvious. And just one last note here, Peniel Joseph 
is the Barbara Jordan chair in ethics and political values and the founding director of the Center for the Study of Race and Democracy at the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin, where he is also a professor of history. Okay, the LBJ School of Public Affairs, Lyndon B. Johnson, right? The president who signed into law the Civil Rights Act. And that is when the switcheroo happened. And the Democrats shed their history of being the party of the Confederacy, the party of the KKK, the party of Jim Crow and the party of urban decay and became instead their own opposite. They became the party of racial salvation. They became the white heroes that are responsible for all of the advancement of black Americans. And despite the fact that Joe Biden's very mentor was one of the people who filibustered that legislation, the Democrats still get to take credit for it forever. And it's worth recalling that LBJ himself said that the passage of the Civil Rights Act will have those N-words voting Democrat for the next 200 years. Little did he know at the time that his very initials would adorn a school devoted entirely to making sure that black Americans will indeed vote Democrat for the next 200 years. It's strange that all the racial and social justice warriors never want to talk about that part of the history. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app, 
and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!